0: Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Kalee Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. All this week, NEPM is focusing on stories surrounding food insecurity.
1: But today we're going to focus on those words themselves with word nerd Emily Brewster as we look at food words and their origins.
0: She's walked the March for the Food Bank before with me. Is she going to this year? Well, we can hope she'll join us for at least part of those 43 miles, but we'll see. We've also got a Grammy winner coming to join us on the show. Mr. G, beloved by Children Nationwide, has both a new album and a new book, and he's doing a free show on Saturday in Northampton, so we'll talk to him about all of his adventures a little later in the show. But
1: first, things are afoot over at the Iron Horse. Large wall demolishing big things.
2: My name is Chris Freeman, and I'm the executive director of the Parlor Room Collective. Which
0: is the organization that is re imagining the Iron Horse. And we were lucky enough to have you on our show to make that announcement. And now we're here in this space, which I haven't been into since 2019. Maybe early 2020, but I think 2019. Early
1: 2020 for me
0: and it is i mean i had i was overcome with emotion when i came in here cleese you used to work here yeah
1: i used to work here i have all have different line. emotions uh, well no i like i loved working here i probably wouldn't have stopped if circumstances hadn't like made that happen people worked here for the love not for everything else
2: so what we're announcing today is that the parlor room collective is launching a capital campaign to revive the iron horse uh, located at 20 center street here in northampton massachusetts in total it's a project to improve safety, comfort and uh, accessibility for all the customers and artists that come through the Iron Horse. In terms of like an enhanced customer patron experience, we are tripling the total number of bathrooms and moving them upstairs and in order to do that we're renting the adjacent space right next to here, so 18 Center Street. Uh So that will be, as you see here in the drawings, this is where we are here. All this area is the next door space. So you see, we'll punch two holes in the wall here, and we're actually gonna move the bar out to 18, so it'll be kind of an outer bar area with all the restrooms in the back here. So we're going to be going from three restrooms to nine, I believe, here in total, um, including two fully ADA-compliant uh, restrooms. Yeah. So then if you move the bar, does that going to increase the capacity of people that would be able
0: to come in to shows We're here? not sure exactly. Yeah. yeah, we're not We're not sure, but we're, we're hopeful. We might be able to get a few more people back here. I'm Randy Kratowski, I'm the uh, board president of the parlor room. We're also changing the kitchen layout and and uh, some things there but the, the, the big change is anybody's ever gone to a show at the Iron Horse especially one that sold out the big line out the front oh yeah and showing up at like an hour and a half or two hours before the show just to get a decent seat you'll come in before the show and there,
1: there'll be a pre-show bar that you can come into outside of the rain um, and then you know once sound check is over we open the doors people come in and and fill up the place but moving the bar is another interesting yeah. idea too just because it makes it easier, not just for guests, but for employees. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) As I remember from experience. (laughs) Getting into the kitchen to get anything was always a pain. And now there are actual windows, not to mention the kitchen's got more space so that they can get around too. A couple other exciting uh, pieces of news that are a part of this is that
2: we're working with Dave Schreier of... East Hampton's daily operation to uh, revamp the restaurant. So it'll be a whole new menu, a whole new dining and overall experience here. Plus just making sure that we're, we're designing the menu in tandem with designing the kitchen. And so just making sure that we are running really efficiently, able to feed people very quickly. You know, our main goal is still to be a music venue first, but we want to make sure that we're a comfortable music venue and a great place to work couple other accessibility upgrades that we have. I already mentioned we're adding these two fully ADA compliant bathrooms. With this additional space here, we're doubling the total amount of handicap accessible space in the venue. So it'll go from currently around 1,200 feet of accessible space to 2,400. So then the artist improvements, one that's for everybody is the HVAC system. We're going to be doing a whole System to make sure that it's this climate control and you know safety coming out of coming out of COVID, we understand how important it is to have not recycling air but fresh air coming in here and trying to make the place as safe as safe as possible. So we're we'll upgrading the sprinkler system and HVAC for a safer and more comfortable live music experience. We're really excited to use the use the bar over there too, even on non show nights, to be able to host the klezmer night out, which we love to have over at the parlor room, or the our bluegrass jams or Irish jams, which are these really fun kind of community building experiences that are hard to have at the parlor room because we don't we can't sell drinks and things. So now it allows us to have these free things where folks can come in, play music and 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 also listen to listen to great musicians and just have, have a good casual atmosphere and help fulfill our mission. In the basement, there's a number of artist improvements that we're looking at too. So we're redesigning kind of the layout of the basement. Uh, the green room will move to the opposite side of the basement and encompass the two bathrooms that are currently in the basement and try to make it one with a shower for artists. So a um, huge upgrade in, in artist comfort we also will be making the stage accessible for artists and of course a new uh, there's no sound system or anything like that in here right now too so a brand new state of the art sound system and and lighting as well all these upgrades were stuff that we found from listening the problem has never been the music here the problem has never has never been the dusty walls and the, and things like that that really make the place special and, and give it the soul that, that the Iron Horse has become so famous for. So those aren't the things that we're trying to change. We just want to make sure that it's a safe place where people feel feel comfortable and want to return to, and that's both from a Customer standpoint and, and an artist's standpoint. We're also planning on having around 24 shows a month here, so really trying to, trying to have a full schedule of shows. We've already started booking and, and talking to artists about coming in to, to, uh, to play, and we've gotten the go-ahead from the construction team that we can book shows as of May 1st, so if we can raise this money in time, we can have this fully open, no phasing, everything May 1st with grand opening shows, that, that will be really exciting.
0: You want to tell us who those are going to be yet?
2: No, well, You have to ask. <laughs> Green River Festival is going to tell who the first artists are tomorrow. So <laughs> this capital campaign it meets the needs of what the community has asked for. We've had uh, posts on Facebook where we ask what people are looking for, in a revived Iron Horse, all the way to just people knocking on the knocking on the window and telling me what they want when when I'm when I'm sitting in here. So we know that the the needs are are clear. It's essentially. We can fix the bathrooms and the HVAC. <laughs> that is that is what the community has decided that that we need. So those are our main priorities. But obvi- everybody knows like how special this place is for our community as a whole, and everybody feels ownership over it already. So we really are just trying to kind of rally community support to be like, this is a special place that Northampton has that nowhere else has a spot quite like quite like this one. And so we it, we think it's important and we think it's important that people feel welcomed and safe when they're in here. And we think the community will come together to support this project that it's a in total a $750,000 project to make sure that we have the staff and facilities that can run this place the way that, the way that we want to as a mission-based organization. We have $73,000 from the federal money, but through the town to go into some of the, some of the initial upgrades here, but we've also raised over, I think we're over $120,000 in um, in individual donations already. Plus, there's a number of other grants that we're working diligently to hopefully receive. Between individual donations, grant money, corporate donations, sponsorships, and all that, we feel really confident that we can get to this number, that the only way we can do it is with community support and enthusiasm, which we already know exists. We just got to... Harness it. We've started today as uh, creating like, fundraising teams, so if people go to ironhorse.org, they can learn all about the upgrades that we have planned and create a fundraising team of their own so they can put it out to their networks and raise money. To If people can show that they care about the space and they care about coming back, we really hope that kind of this like, team fundraising effort will you know, exponentially help us.
0: When Parlor Room bought the Iron Horse brand, it did not buy the building that the Iron Horse lives in, and you're making major investments into this building. Is there an idea that this could eventually become a lease to own? What's the guarantee that all this money will be raised and invested into this space, but that in perpetuity, this space would continue to be the Iron Horse?
2: Well, we have a 15 year lease on the space. So 15 years is worth having accessible bathrooms. I think so too. This is not just a music venue that's gonna be open from five to 11 p.m each night. It's like this is going to be an active community space that hopefully someday we can have a camp, a downtown Northampton Music Camp, we can have a, we can have a recording studio in the spaces. There's so many opportunities that we can do um, and so much good that we can do with the Iron Horse. This is the best plan and we have the best people in the area helping us make the plan to, so we can make it happen. We had a little community potluck the other night here because this is our little clubhouse now and like, <laughs> invited, invited the people that are, that are like really doing work to keep the parlor room going and there are 70 people here. It's, like, it's, so it's, a, humongous, it's a humongous group of people. Not everybody's paid, but everybody is passionate and everybody is
1: um, excited about the future. I got to see so many shows here. So many people out of my wheelhouse I wouldn't have gotten to see. Tell me some of your favorites. Alejandro Escovedo with a string quartet. One of the best shows I've ever ever seen. Period. Like nobody knew what was going to happen. His arrangements were amazing. Like seeing that. Seeing the Avett Brothers here. um, I got to see Grizzly Bear here before they got like super super big. I got to see Beck. I was at Beck. That's my number one show hey, here. There
2: were there must have been ten
1: thousand people at that Beck show. No, <laughs> it was it was
0: it no. was it was a rehearsal show it for was, his tour. For and his, and it was,
1: was, like it was he he was practicing the, the material for Sea Change. Yeah. And you test out the material and you see how it works. Yeah. That show got booked. It sold out in like half an hour. Yeah. It was amazing. But at the time, like I had friends who worked at the horse, and I lived upstairs, so I can got snuck in back to see that show. Winston <laughs> yeah. too. Oh yeah. Oh, my God. Four. Days of Winter Marcellus. I'd go see Fred Eaglesmith back to back. He'd do
0: like an yep. afternoon show and an evening show, and one I'd show go that to like. One show that was mostly both. trains.
1: One show that was mostly not trains. I'd
0: love it. Wicked, <laughs> wicked fun. They might be giants. Andrew Bird. Yep. Oh man, so many good shows. <laughs>
1: um, but I also remember like the one of the worst times I had on the floor. I fell up the stairs <laughs> to my section and dropped my tray of drinks on the so, soundboard. Chris. <laughs>
2: Were you were you around in the era of Yeah, I played the they Iron
0: Horse. Okay, good. Yeah. Just make sure. I your show. <laughs> what are some of your favorite shows from here?
2: The best show that I ever saw here was The Low Anthem oh, wow. in uh, probably 2012. Just unreal. Matt Davidson, uh, who goes by Twain now, was in the band. Jossie Adams, who's in Arcaires, was in there. It was just like Oh, my God, such an amazing show. I stood in the pit sweating there, and it was so good. But my overarching Iron Horse memory is actually my dad bringing me here when I was probably a eighth grade or maybe a freshman in high school, And just me wanting to be a musician so badly and uh, sitting in one of the tables along the along the wall of pictures uh, here on the left side of the room and just looking at the opener and just thinking if I can do that if I can open a show at the Iron Horse I have made it like that that's the end that's that's my that's my end goal and so it's like really funny coming in here and working at our little fold-up tables that we that would to try to try to keep going and feeling the like both my Myself then watching like looking at that same stage now, but also with the uh, like privilege and burden also of like trying to make this place bring it back to something that could inspire that kind of feeling in a in a young artist. So I feel really honored to to get to do that. Do you feel like you made it? I feel like yeah, I feel like we're making it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give you a high five
0: because you made it, man.
2: You, not only did you open here, but
0: you're reopening it here.
1: And this is Chris Freeman's band, Parsons Field. We're hearing right now Chris Freeman, the director of the Parlor Room Collective. We're reopening the Iron Horse, and good luck to them. Large uphill battle, but we're sure they can make it. Up next, gearing up for the March for the Food Bank, we'll peel back the layers of some food words with our resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, Emily Brewster. But we will
0: not comment on that condiment, that giant condiment in particular, in front of the building. We don't talk about May, yo. Should I sing the song? No, don't Find sing. Find out what we're talking about if you don't know in a little bit. But you're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 and EPM.
3: No singing. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com.
1: I know that we have basically, like German origin words for the living animals that we eat, and French origin words for that animal once it is deadened on a plate and/ or an ingredient. But it seems just overwhelmingly, like our words for food and culinary things are French derived. Are there things that we do in a kitchen on a regular basis where the words are
4: not French? Yeah, sure, sure. Like the basic processes, um, you know, bake is a word that comes from Old English. That's not from French. And and also there's a whole slew of words that come from Italian. We should not forget the Italian derived words that we have that are part of our culinary vocabulary. Yeah. But sauté is French. Absolutely. Chiffonade (laughs) is French. You know, it's almost like English speakers couldn't really cook before the French invaded and took over. I mean, that is not true.
1: I mean, no one's surprised by it. Is it not true?
4: It's kind of true.
0: Do we get boil from the Irish? I always joke, I'm, I'm half Italian and half Irish, that my Irish side has figured out how to boil the flavor out of every food.
4: You know what, you can blame the French for that one. I
1: believe the dude from River Cafe would have words to say (laughs) with
0: you about that. (laughs) There is some good Irish food now, I would agree. Emily Brewster, resident Worcester from Merriam-Webster, our dictionary in Springfield. We're talking about food words today because Monday and Tuesday, November 20th and 21st is the 14th annual march for the food bank, 43 miles from Springfield to Greenfield to raise money and awareness about hunger in our area. You, yourself, Emily Brewster, have done the food bank march, at least the 26-mile Northampton part of the jaunt.
4: That's correct. I've done it twice.
0: But you're never doing it again because it's too much, right?
4: No, I I won't say that. I, I might do it. I might do it next year. I was not. I was not ready for it this year. It it crept up on me. Lots of things are creeping up on me.
0: I thought you were one of the people that, like, I've done it, check that off the list, like me and skydiving. I had to do it one time, never, it, <laughs> never need to do it again.
4: Yeah, no, no, no. The first time I did it with the wrong shoes, uh, and, oh. um, and then the second time I did it with good shoes, and that was fine. That was okay. I could walk the next day. So that was a positive.
1: Good shoes and good socks, just like hiking. You need both. Yeah. But we're here to talk
0: about food words, because our goal is to make sure that everybody has enough food to eat. So some interesting food-related words, Emily Brewster.
4: Food words for the food. Food bank, And also because there are lots of occasions for eating coming up and we very much want everyone to have enough food and food is something that unifies us. There's a word that came into public consciousness not that long ago that that I'm sure is going to come up again in coming weeks. And that is the word turducken. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love this word.
4: Uh, has either of you ever eaten a turducken? I have
1: eaten a turducken. I have made a turducken. Whoa! Whoa!
0: I, I have never eaten a turducken. But it takes. I'm tempted to. So
1: much time, and this is coming from someone who is planning for their friendsgiving to make a turquetta.
0: But, like a porchetta of turkey.
1: Yeah, where you you bone the whole thing. But yeah, I've done it. It took a long, long, long time.
4: A turducken, for those who don't know, is a boneless chicken stuffed into a boneless duck stuffed into a boneless. Turkey. That's a lot of boneless meat. Yes.
0: Yes. Now, the first time I ever heard of the concept of turducken was while watching football, where John Madden on Thanksgiving, the the legendary football announcer, coach, would talk about how he would eat this, what seems like abhorrent, carnivorous fowl. 1997, John Madden was coming to New Orleans to call a Saints game. Local radio personality said, wouldn't it be nice if John Madden would try this turducken?
4: Now, here's my turducken. You got the turkey on the outside, then you stuff the turkey with a... It duck- smelled so good. Duck with a,
0: chicken. a week later, I get a phone call from Fox Sports. They said, Glenn, John Madden wants the turducken to be the official
4: food
3: for the All Madden team. There it is. Look, we got dressing and everything.
0: Is he responsible for the word turducken?
4: I don't think so. Our earliest evidence of it in print is from 1982. That's both earlier and later than I was expecting? Somehow, yeah, it's a it's a child of the '80s, which <laughs> on some level is just not at all surprising. No. not
0: at all. No, so much excess. Exactly. <laughs> Where was this first use of turducken that Merriam-Webster has seen?
4: The first instance of turducken, both that Merriam-Webster knows about and that the Oxford English Dictionary has a, a citation for, is from a Newsweek article in November of 1982. The person who is credited with with doing this is goes by the name of Prudhomme. I don't know who oh, that is. Paul this Bernholm, person is not-
1: a pillar of Cajun cooking. He is responsible for a lot of the not promotion, but like the spread of awareness of Cajun cuisine.
0: He has the magic seasoning blend. He That's does. how I know him. Like, he does. and you've seen his picture if you've gotten this
1: seasoning yes, blend. He before. was a very round man. Yeah.
4: And apparently, he may have been the uh, the first person to call it a turducken. I love it. I believe it. That's fantastic. I am so glad you two know so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Here's another food word. I really love me a good poo-poo platter. Yes!
0: I love poo-poo platter so much. We had a re- election night broadcast coverage. And... I got a poo-poo platter that night and I was in heaven. I'm going to have a poo-poo platter on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and on Christmas Day. It's poo-poo platter season for me. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year.
4: Monty, what's, what's in your poo-poo platter?
0: If we're going to a, a restaurant, it must come with a sterno flame in the middle. Right. And then a wooden bowl. Speaking
1: of 80s excess. Oh, yeah. My
0: God. I love this. But here's what I require. Egg rolls, chicken fingers, chicken wings, fried shrimp. Crab Rangoon, spare ribs, beef teriyaki.
1: Everything except the Crab Rangoon I'm good with.
4: Oh, I'll have your Crab Rangoon. That's fine. Yeah. I give them away. Other people want them.
0: <laughs> I'm going to get an extra order of it anyway.
4: Monty, I think it's really a testament to the draw that a poo-poo platter has that the first thing you comment on is how much you enjoy eating the food instead of just making some really crass joke about the name.
0: Oh, that's what happens after I eat the food.
4: Exactly. You teed me up for that,
0: Emily Brewster. I was just going to yeah. let it go.
4: Yeah, right, right. Well we're here to talk about words. And and it is it is a little strange that like we're all fine with this being called a poo poo platter when poo poo has has other uh, digestive related meanings Indeed. in our in our language. Spelled differently, Spelled right? The poo poo platter is P U P U. Yeah, which stinks. Any guess for the language from which this poo poo is borrowed?
1: I'd assume that it was Cantonese or like Fujian. I'm probably off
0: I'm gonna guess indigenous Hawaiian language.
4: Monty, you are right. There we go.
0: Because I know that this is more of a Polynesian based thing exactly. rather than an actual yep. like mainland or Hong Kong area Chinese thing. Right. So, yep. and I, I used to go to a restaurant dead in Dedham, Massachusetts, called Tahiti.
1: Oh, I remember Tahiti. That's
0: where I would get my at the mall. Poopoo platter. It's very near the mall.
1: Had giant Easter Island style yep. heads in front of it.
0: I'd get there with my Italian nana, and we would eat that poopoo platter.
4: Yes, and the word was borrowed into English. Earliest evidence that we have of the word in English is from 1950, which is also at a time that uh, everything Hawaiian was of great interest. To the uh, the colonizer,
1: <laughs> that's also the time um, of the rise of the tiki bar. So that totally makes sense. Yes. Speaking of words stolen slash borrowed from Polynesian. Yes.
4: On to even something something even more appetizing. This is I'm being I'm being completely sarcastic in that it's denigrated, you know. And I bet there are good versions of this out there, but it's oh boy, it's it's tough. Um, aspic.
0: I am not familiar with this oh, aspect of, asp- of the language.
1: Aspic? It's gelatin. Like, you make cold salad slash, like, formed terrines with it. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, our definition says, A clear, savory jelly, as of fish or meat stock, used as a garnish or to make a meat, fish, or vegetable mold. Wow,
1: that's gross. It is is gelatin. It is straight-up gelatin. (laughs) And uh, you mix it with broth when you want to use it in this form and you layer your things like like you'll see terrines those weird gross jello things you see from the 50s they're trying to mimic what aspic does oh my. <laughs> and often like you found it as like the top layer for terrines in order to keep them at room temperature a little bit better so that if you had like a salmon terrine that was you know like it's salmon and it's cream and it's out for a little bit of time because you got it out at a party a layer of aspic will keep it intact for Longer.
4: Khalees, I love listening to you talk about
0: this. It's fantastic. you going about food. She yeah, knows, yeah. She yeah, really, yeah. No, we should do going. more
4: of this. They became kind of trendy post World War II. Apparently, an aspect is also called a perfection salad.
0: Oh, because you're trying to put the pieces in the right place before yeah. it, it buzzes That's and right. explodes? Right, they don't move
4: around. They're just stuck there, they're, they're suspended uh, in gelatinous. Yeah,
1: there's whole Facebook and Instagram groups dedicated to the things that have been done, the tragedies that have occurred with with gelatin and aspic over the years, including like SpaghettiOs ones. Oh my God, this is like a Damien
4: Hirst sculpture or something (laughs) like that. As with many things culinary, we can indeed blame the French for this. (laughs) Their word aspic means asp as in the snake. Mm. And there's a, a French lexicographer... Paul-Émile Littre suggested that jelly came to be called aspic because it is froid comme un aspic, meaning cold as an asp.
1: It was one of the ways to preserve the flavor and still preserve the freshness. They can be really pretty. Go check them out.
4: They can. And actually, my mom would occasionally make an aspic when I was a kid. And I, I liked them at the time. Wow. Yeah. All right. We're talking food
0: words with Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Marion webster in anticipation of the March for the Food Bank this coming Monday and Tuesday, which Emily Brewster has done before, which Khalees Smith has been on the receiving end of my broadcast on this before, and which I will do again this Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> More food words, Emily Brewster?
4: Yeah, you know, here's an Italian one that may, maybe you already, maybe you already know. Where do you think the word calzone came from?
0: Is it the locale calzone zone?
4: I don't think there's anything locale about any There's cal- nothing but locale what if, about calzones.
0: But what if there were?
2: It's a whole new spin on Italian fast casual dining. Amazing. Now you of all people like this. I'm going to use low-fat
0: ingredients. Game changer. And I will call my new Italian fast casual eatery the locale Calzone. Zone. That idea is literally the
3: greatest idea I have ever heard in my life.
0: That idea is terrible. (laughs) <laughs> it's a joke from Parks and Rec.
1: Oh, no, I don't know the origin of this.
0: I also don't. I, also, I do know that when I was a kid, we mistakenly called stromboli calzone for most of my life until my very Italian uncle was like, this is not calzone. Calzone is folded pizza. Yes. What you are talking about rolled up meat and cheese is stromboli. We have all adapted in our Italian-americanness to the more Italian-ness
1: of, of that.
4: <laughs> well, calzone, it's the singular form, of course, of calzoni, meaning pants. <laughs>
1: That's hilarious.
4: Pants.
0: Coulotte in French, Oh yeah, calzone. You can hear a little bit of the same thing there.
4: Yeah, and there's an Italian word for stocking calza, C-A-L-Z-A, that this is that calzoni is related to also, and also Latin calcius meaning shoe.
0: What does folded pizza have to do with pants?
4: I don't know. Is this what the Italian, is this is like what Italian pants look like? I mean, if I we're talking like Renaissance
1: style pants, then I guess I can see it. Maybe.
4: But you know, another idea that's been proposed is that you can carry it around while you're walking in your pants. You know, like it's, you know, don't, you, don't, you don't need utensils, but I don't know why that means pants.
0: You've heard of Northampton and Amherst's Pita Pockets. Now it's time for Pizza Pockets
1: right next to the <laughs> local Calzone Zone wait, wait, in downtown Wait, don't Pizza Pockets already exist? Isn't it basically Totino?
0: Maybe probably they're a
1: microwavable food stuff. Yeah. Probably I mean, also loo- from the eighties. Food yeah, stuff. Yeah, they they come in a bag in the frozen section.
0: Hot pockets for sure. That all makes sense. A hot pocket is pizza in your pants.
1: When you want a hot meal without
5: a big deal, what are you gonna pick? Hot pocket.
0: Oh goodness. I mean, I mean, it's a calzone that you could easily store in a pocket of your pants. It might oh. be fun to bring calzone in my pockets on the march as like a a, a little boost of energy. What's another food word, Emily Brewster? <laughs>
4: tapas. Spanish. Yes. It derives from the Spanish noun tapa, meaning cover or lid. Any thought on why this would be?
0: Like on tapa, spaghetti, all covered with cheese. I lost my (laughs) poor meatball (laughs) when somebody sneezed.
1: That's a different country. I thought it was because of the way that tapas are laid out at the bar when you get them. They're little plates. You get the little plate. They have a little cover at the bar, but I might be wrong about that.
4: Yeah. Well, nobody knows for sure. So you might also be right. (laughs) But another idea is that, and again, tapas, just to be clear, our appetizers usually served at a bar, but it's thought that in Spain, they would sometimes put a piece of bread or something over a person's drink when the person stepped away from their drink so that dust or flies wouldn't get into it. And maybe they would like put some sardines on top and a smear of butter. And, you know, then that, mm -hmm. then that became tapas, I guess. Yeah,
0: that sounds so good.
4: It's the lid for your drink that you can eat. It's an edible lid. I want a sardine
0: a and butter lid for my drink. <laughs>
4: yes. A little tomato in there. This one, I, I'm guessing you both know. Burrito. A little a burrito. Do- little, donkey. little donkey. Little donkey, why? Look at it. It looks like a, little, looks little like little like a fat, donkey? A
0: little rolled up fatty thing. It's like Cheech and Chong made it. Ah, oh, man. That's
4: some heavy Wow. So you mean if you gave it a head and legs, it would, any burrito would look like a it would donkey? would look like a little donkey. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, some people say that it has to do with the um, resemblance to bedrolls that maybe a donkey would carry if okay. it doesn't actually look like a donkey itself. But then there is a particular story that during the time of the Mexican Revolutions so in the like nineteen teens, supposedly there was a food vendor by the name of Juan Mendez who used a donkey to carry his food. And to keep the food warm, he would wrap it up in flour tortillas. And people looking for this fellow's offerings would say that they were looking for the burrito because he had this donkey that he was using to carry his food. Oh. I love that. I
0: love that. I like too. that more than they yeah. kind of look like cute fat little donkeys.
4: Yeah, set it right up, man. We're really hungry. Okay, donkey smell. Yeah, it's nice, but there's no real there's no real evidence of it. It's a legend. It's possibly true. These things don't always get documented in a way that is usable for an etymologist, but that is still right. worth noting.
0: And I think our Mexican friends would love to tell you that burritos are not really Mexican food so much that they are more California food, but with a Mexican flair.
1: What about the word taco? I do not actually know the origin of Me this. either.
0: I'm trying to think of any other word in Spanish I know that would look like taco, but it's really just its own thing. It's mm-hmm. its own category of glory It exists <laughs> in a dictionary all unto
1: itself. Seriously, tacos are the best.
4: My information tells me that in Spanish taco, that word can also refer to a stopper, a plug, a billiard cue, a cleat, a shoe heel. And also to a taco, an edible taco. That word, the same word, can apply to all those different things.
0: Hmm. All of the other ones have like an onomatopoetic kind of idea behind them that they make a click.
4: Oh yeah, a plug, a stopper, or like a... <laughs> a little stopper for your
1: hunger.
0: Pool cue, <laughs> heel, all those things make a little click. Maybe tacos—they uh, click with so me.
4: one of the of the more compelling theories is that the plug meaning is the connection between the edible taco and the other tacos. The idea is that in 18th century Mexican miners would make explosive plugs by wrapping gunpowder in paper in a way that looked like a taco, like the food. You know, first they made this explosive, they call it a taco because it's a plug and it's it's, you know, paper with with gunpowder in it and then they make something that looks like that to eat, and they also call it a taco, which means that a taco gets its name from an explosive.
0: Which also makes a very clicking sound.
1: (laughs) Flavor-wise, it makes sense to me.
0: (laughs) This is the perfect tie-in, because one of my favorite marchers for the food bank is Oaxacan chef Neftali Duran, who leads Team Taco on the march for the food bank to raise money for the work that they do there, and one year brought a giant, what looked like a don't tread on me flag, but had a Sasquatch on it holding a taco. (laughs) It was like the Sasquatch Don't tread on me taco Uh, I love
4: it Now he may know another theory There's another theory about the word taco Is that it is not Spanish at all But that it comes from the Nahuatl Tlajo Meaning half or in the middle That makes way more sense It sure does It does make way more sense And I wonder if he might have some uh, Some inside knowledge about that in particular
0: Well we're going to ask him on the march
4: For the food bank on Monday and Tuesday
0: (laughs) Yes dude Well Thank you, Emily Brewster, for your years of service to the March for the Food Bank yourself on the on the march and raising money, and Merriam-Webster's involvement in supporting the food bank as well. And uh, thank you for elucidating all of these food-related words for us in anticipation of the March for the Food Bank this Monday and Tuesday.
4: So fun to talk about food with you, and thanks to all the marchers and to you, Monty, for making this march happen year after year.
0: Our Hunger Awareness Week coverage is supported by Ted and Barbara Hebert of Teddy Bear Pools and Spas, but you may be wondering (laughs) why we did not talk about the 800-pound
1: Jar of mayo in the room. A headline from WWLP. Giant mayo jar dropped off at Merriam-Webster in Springfield. The story continues. Kraft Foods delivered
0: a giant jar of its real mayo to Merriam-Webster in Springfield last Tuesday. But why? According to a spokesperson from Kraft Real Mayo, the unexpected delivery is an effort to make the word moist Merriam-Webster's word of the year. And according to this story and Urban Dictionary, the word moist has a bad rap which says... It's a word people pretend to hate because the internet told them to.
1: And I'm going to say as someone who doesn't really like that word outside of it being used for cake, it's not because the internet told me to.
0: I don't mind the word moist. I think it's fun. (laughs) I think it's fun that people don't like it. I also love mayo. But what I will tell you. Yeah, I don't
1: like either of those
0: things. Is that this is not how. Especially not together. (laughs) This is not how the word of the year happens. No. You cannot petition Merriam-Webster with any sized mayo or other object to get a word of the year designation. But you, listener, you have more power than Kraft Foods because the word of the year is picked by lookups of words on merriam-webster.com. So if you were to go and look up moist...
1: We're not encouraging this behavior. I am. You should Over and
0: over and over again. And it was so much more over last year's lookups of the word moist, and especially if there was some... Uh, current event that corresponded with it, then perhaps moist could become Word of the Year. What we know is that it will be announced within the next couple of weeks and that we will have Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, to talk with us about whatever you users of the dictionary decide is the Word of the Year.
1: But we're also generally hoping for an organically formed and found Word of the Year. Like
0: a mayonnaise-shaped Word of the Year. It's organically formed and found...
1: They can hear Noiced. me shaking my head and rolling my eyes Word at you. of the year. I know that they can. Yeah. <laughs> Up next, live music Wednesday with local hero and Latin Grammy Award winner, Mr. G, who's got a free concert for you and your kids this weekend You're in li- Northampton.
0: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 and EPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Kalee Smith.
1: Ben Gundersheimer is a Latin Grammy Award-winning artist, author, activist, and educator. Hailed as a bilingual rock star by The Washington Post, he was originally dubbed Mr. G by his young students while pursuing a Master of Education degree.
0: His dynamic bilingual performances aim to dissolve borders and foster cross-cultural connections. Mr. G is also the author of Señorita Mariposa, Lila Tove slash Good Night, and How Many Squirrels Are in the World, all of which are based on his original songs. He lives here in the 413 with his wife, Catherine, whom I almost exclusively call Mrs. G, just for the thematic purposes as she is often part of the show.
1: Mr. G has a free show in Northampton this Saturday, November 18th at the family-friendly time of 11 a.m. at John M. Green Hall in Smith College.
0: And it's free and fun. And if you've never been to a Mr. G show, uh, especially if you have kids, you're really missing out. Thanks for coming here to the Fabulous 413, Mr. G. Senor Hey, as I like to call you. <laughs> Great to see you guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, if listeners may remember Mr. G, who played at our Asparagus Festival uh, many t- more than once, I think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So the NEPM Asparagus Festival that happens on the Common there. Uh, before we hear a little bit from the new album, talk about the book that corresponds with this new album. Which came first, the chicken or the egg?
3: <laughs> no. So the book came first, but it's it's a little bit of a convoluted answer because all my books originated as songs. There was a song called We'll Make Things Better Together. It was adapted as a manuscript, and the book came out in May. And I thought that uh, for the first time, I'd like to do an album just with everything, the polarization in the world, just something thematically, under that concept of we'll make things better together so then i wrote the album and produced it and that came out uh, a month or so ago
0: so the song came first but the album didn't correct yeah correct
3: got it
1: (laughs) (laughs) now um having been through the process of making a children's book myself how do how did you connect with your illustrator
3: Well, in this instance, my editor chose the illustrator. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I ended up with this phenomenal editor at Penguin Random House. And the first book that Monty mentioned was called Señorita Mariposa. Uh, And in that instance, I had already connected with this wonderful artist from Mexico uh, who had done uh, originally our album Los Animales, which is the one that won the Latin Grammy Award. And then several months after that happened, we were performing in Mexico. I connected with Marcos, who lives in Mexico City. We totally hit it off. He's done all our album covers since, started doing our t-shirts. And when the editor uh, asked if I I had any ideas for Senorita Mariposa, I suggested Marcos. She loved his work. And so that was amazing because you know it just developed this collaboration in the book. And that's rare to know Very the rare. illustrator Very that you're rare. going to be working yes. with. And yes. it was also a tribute to her just in terms of how collaborative she is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but Marcos also illustrated How Many Squirrels Are in the World, which came out earlier this year as well. And we've got another one in the pipeline. So it's great that this collaboration and friendship we've had is now really evolving into the books. Cool. Yeah, yeah. How many squirrels are in the world? Too many. <laughs> like- this is a question we've now taken to posing to kids at concerts. Yeah. And it's, the, the degree of scientific inquiry is really fascinating. <laughs> You'll get very specific answers, like 47. Yeah. 2 three billion, it's just, but there's there's a lot of engagement on the topic. I love
0: it as a topic. I love it for that reason. But I mean, I'm, this song has been out for a while and the book is more recent, so, but have you ever talked to a scientist and tried to get an estimate about how many squirrels there's a might woman, actually be in the world? Okay,
3: so when we played the Amherst Block Party last year, uh, we announced this book was in the pipeline. Yeah. And after the show, she came up to me and uh, told me that she is a squirrel scientist. Yes! So if anyone can get to the bottom of this question, She's someone in the 413? Perhaps a great guest. <laughs> I
0: think next time you come
1: on, we have to bring
0: on the squirrel scientist. Yeah, yeah, scientists yeah. Gotta get to the bottom to, of it. Try to break this <laughs> down.
1: I feel like it's going to be your equivalent of the sun, like, why does the sun shine song by They Might Be Giants, just the evolving answer of how many squirrels <laughs> right, are actually yeah. in the why world. Did, yeah,
0: why does the sun really shine, the follow-up <laughs> song to it. Yeah. Well, should we hear a song? from? We should. Can we hear the song, We'll Make Things Better Together? Because I think so many of us are hearing the news here on NPR and NEPM. And uh, we often don't know what to do with it. And what I feel like so many times is I go to music when I don't know what to do with these kind of big and heavy, terrible things that are going on. And the book is a great way of talking about communities coming together. So maybe it's exactly what we all need.
3: Happily. So just a little shout out to the illustrator of this book I didn't mention. Her name is Dao Phumirik, originally from Thailand. She lives in Denver now. And she just did a beautiful job bringing the – the words on the page to life, and on the album, um, it features Masamba Diop. Who, yeah, <laughs> I was going
1: to bring up your collaboration. Okay, with Okay,
3: yeah. So just Masamba, uh, as, as many of you know, is a wonderful talking drum master from Senegal. Um, so there's actually a video on our site of us playing the song, like the day I had written it when we were just like pulling it together. So uh, and he's, if you've seen the movie Black Panther, that's Masamba making all that cool sound. So all right, so here's just the unplugged version. Mm-hmm.
5: with the rising sun So happy that the day's begun There's so much to do today Now we're up and on our way Everything is better We're better when we work together At the park there's work to do Lots of friends are helping too Recycle bottles, pick up trash Clean this place up in a flash Everything is better We're better when we work together Everything is better We're better when we work together garden on our knees, say thank you to the honeybees, fruits and veggies everywhere, we've got so much enough to share, everything grows better, we're better when we work together, everything is better, Better when we work together, and we love to dance and clap and sing. Making music is our thing. Drums, maracas, and guitars. We're a band. We jam like stars. Oh. up at the setting sun, celebrate all that we've done. Everything we did today is the first step we're on our way. Everything is better. Yeah, we're better when we work together. The world is better. We're better when we work together. The world is better. We're better when we work together. We'll make things better. Better when we work together,
0: Latin Grammy Award winner from right here in the 413, Mr. G, who has a show for free at John M. Green Hall this Saturday at 11 a.m. NEPM is a sponsoring presenter of that show. Do we have to fully disclose that? Yes.
2: Do we? Yes.
0: I guess so. It doesn't hurt, right? No. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, We're going to talk more with Mr. G in just a little bit about his work with the U.S. Forestry Service and reading his fundamental about his books and albums and the concert this Saturday. You're listening to The
1: Fabulous 413 on (music) NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Clee Smith, and we are here with Latin Grammy Award-winning children's book author, Mr. G, who resides in the 413 and is having a concert for free, open to the public, on Saturday, November 18th. I am curious as to how your collaboration with Misamba Diop came about.
3: I owe that to my neighbor, Tony Vaca, who's a (laughs) long-standing... a local st-
0: legend of drumming.
1: Yes. yes. Well said. And
0: Masamba Diop, if you missed it earlier, is an awesome talking drumming drummer, and he is responsible for large swaths of the Black Panther score and soundtrack.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah.
3: So Tony has spent a lot of times in Senegal, and, uh, you know, he told me he has this long friendship with Masamba and a lot of Senegalese musicians. Brought him by the house one day, thought we'd hit it off, and... Uh, Sure enough. I live on a dead-end road in Waitley, so I look out the window and here's Masamba coming up my driveway. (laughs) And if you haven't seen him, he's 6'4", probably, and dressed in full, you know... West African regalia. I was yep. like, all right, this is a different day, and we and we just hit it off and been friends and collaborators ever since. We've done a lot of gigs together and also some recording.
1: I mean, the best of friends are the ones who bring like musicians you've never really met to your house to like so that you can hang out and jam. That's totally. just my feeling. Absolutely. So shout out to
0: Tony <laughs> for the
3: introduction.
1: <laughs>
0: you have a new album that is uh, streamable through your website. We make things better together, which corresponds with the book that came out this year as well. Uh, and the
3: How many squirrels are in the world? A new book this year too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the album's available on you know, Spotify and Tidal and Apple Music everywhere.
0: Weird for you not to have a physical copy of the album?
3: I've gotten a little used to it, but I'm still so old school such a vinyl guy <laughs> Me that too. without a tactile object, it all feels a little yeah. bit...
1: I mean, like, I definitely know people who have, like, those Fisher-Price, like, like record player things, and yeah. I kind of wish they would come back more in force so that younger people that could get That actually would be good for the kids' to, music scene. —to be in, yeah, into vinyl right. if vinyl is going to be a thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Make those wicked flippy, floppy, like, vinyls that would come, like, in a cereal box or in a newspaper. You remember oh, yeah. those? Those were great. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, you've been working with the the Nationwide uh, Reading Organization. Reading is fundamental. Tell us about that relationship.
3: So this is wonderful. Uh, yeah, reading is fundamental, which uh, people are probably familiar with. It's prominent literacy organization chose "We'll Make Things Better Together" the new book to kick off their national school campaign. Uh,
1: that's wicked cool.
3: And is is that this year or is it coming? That just happened. Uh huh. Yeah, wow. yeah. That's great. So it's been exciting to have some of these uh, partnerships. And you know, to your point about physical objects, this has been w- one of the many things that's been nice about the book because it's <laughs> an actual tactile <laughs> object. That, you know, we can all hold. Floppy record
0: in the next yeah. edition of the book. Yeah. You pull it right out, put it
1: on that fisher Price. Everyone's about Everyone's about
3: the QR code, which I can't get excited <laughs> about either.
1: I have to say, there's one really nice thing about children's books is that they're so much better. Although they, you can get digital versions of them, they are so much better and so much more easy to be interactive when you have them in, like, person to hold. Absolutely.
0: You've also teamed up with the U.S. Forest Service in, with some of your books. Tell yeah. us about that relationship.
1: Well, that really came about for, – for
3: years we were doing an event pre-pandemic on Capitol Hill um, uh, for this wonderful little environmental group called Moms Clean Air Force. Big rallying day where we would perform, kind of get kids and families all fired up who were there for a big lobbying day. And then like Nancy Pelosi or Cory Booker would speak. And then everyone would – lobby their respective Congress people. And ultimately, we connected with the US Forest Service. A lot of our songs and books have environmental themes. And now we're partners with them. And so we play an annual event at the Smithsonian. And uh, you know, they now have us for Pollinator Week every year, which nice. is really great. So the <laughs> focus on Senorita Mariposa mm-hmm. and all these cool tie-ins with those guys. It's been really wonderful.
0: And there is an exciting development in the world of Senorita Mariposa. Originally a song, then became a book. And now it's going to become a musical.
3: Yes, this is like the big reveal on that. So there's a fabulous <laughs> children's theater in Minneapolis that's commissioning a theatrical adaptation of Senorita Mariposa. So I'm writing the music and co-writing uh, the script with a wonderful Latinx playwright who's really established in that world, and it's going to premiere in Minnesota next next fall. Is and- it
1: hard to flesh that out to something that's probably going to end up being at least like forty-ish minutes? Yeah.
3: I'll get back to you on that. We're just starting on it right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm assuming it'll be challenging, Mariposa but it's also means, very
0: exciting. Mariposa <laughs> means butterfly, and there's already been a madam Butterfly on there stage. There you go. So
1: very it's, different plot. I'm sure. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's just
3: super exciting to, to, to explore a new media. And uh, they've got this whole immersive concept, so they're also licensing the art for Marcos. And so the concept will be to bring and have uh, projection and animation. So the butterflies will take flight in the theater— and so I think it's going to be this really cool multimedia immersive thing. But w- the actual script, I'll get back to you because I've got <laughs> to start working on it.
0: <laughs> it's such a great book and song because it does chart the, the migration of these butterflies that know no borders. Yes. And it really brings us all together, which is kind of like the theme of your most recent album and book and uh, is what will happen on Saturday at John M. Green Hall at Smith College, a free concert. Sponsored by New England Public Media.
3: (laughs) Thank you. Mr. G from Waitley, Latin
0: Grammy Award winner from right here in the 413. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to see you. Thanks for all your support.
1: Sure. And do go out and check out his free concert on Saturday, November 18th at John M. Green Hall.
0: Tomorrow on the Fabulous 413, Hunger Awareness Week continues when we talk with students for anti-hunger who are addressing issues of food insecurity with the student body at UMass. You can hear how their many programs are helping the small cities work of folks on campus. A reminder that our Hunger Awareness Week coverage is sponsored by Greenfield Cooperative Bank. You can find more stories about hunger and learn more about the Food Bank March next week at nepm.org hunger. And,
1: and we'll have a chat with multidisciplinary artist Cornmo, who is taking a break from heavy metal greatness to play a show at Gateway City Arts this weekend. And our weekly chat with Congressman Jim McGovern, who is marching the entire 43 miles of the March for the Food Bank like he does every year. Got a question for the representative? Email us at thefab413 at nepm.org. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.